0: Hi and welcome. You were listening to The Philosophists, a pair of software guys attempting to leave that all behind and inject a little philosophy into your everyday. Actually, today I am more of a philo soloist, as I still haven't managed to track Simon down after the last episode. You'll have to make do with me, Declan McGrath. However, I am very excited to be joined by our guest, Daniel McRae, who is an instrumental figure in advancing philosophy for children in Ireland. Daniel is the creator of philosophyshortcourse.com, a free resources website for Irish philosophy teachers and the event Gadfly. He holds a BA and MA in philosophy and regularly teaches philosophy at Gonzaga College SJ Secondary School in South Dublin. He is trained in teaching philosophy with Marilla Rice, Peter Worley and Educate Together and facilitates public philosophy events for the Philosopher's Hat and Socrates Cafe his mission is to make teaching philosophy the best job in Ireland. Today, Daniel will be talking about Gadfly, which is an online event he has created for Irish philosophy educators and boasts a formidable lineup. Prior to that, we will discuss a lot more, including philosophy and film, getting philosophy into the education cycle in Ireland and bringing it to a younger audience, why children should care about philosophy and how it helps them develop, why teachers should care about philosophy and how it can change their engagement with students, and why you should care about philosophy. We also talk a lot about different philosophers and their ideas and what kids and non-kids can learn from them. I really enjoyed today's conversation, so much so that I spent about half of it engaging in manic chuckles and laughter, so I hope you don't find that too distracting. The format of the show is also different. It clocks in at about an hour and a half, and you may have noticed the letters LP at the start of the episode title. Just so you know, that stands for a long play, so if you look out for that in future, you'll know what you're getting in for in advance. Today's show is pretty much unedited, so you will find that there's a different feel and pace to it. We'd love to hear what you think of the different format, especially for longer conversations. One last thing before we start. Without Simon, there was no one to correct my wild mispronunciations. So everything from German words to Dan's upcoming event, Gadfly, fell foul of this. But despite these misfires, I think you'll really enjoy today's conversation, and I'll drop you into it right now after the all-important sound check. Okay, let's get philosophical with Daniel McRae. How does that sound? That sounds fantastic. That's the that's the sound check done. It sounded brilliant. <laughs>
1: All right, good, 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 so, man.
0: Due diligence, due diligence is done. Even so, <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's great. No, look, I've, like I said, I I did a. Uh, I think I was saying to you, I did a twenty-minute presentation to the air because uh, teams never told me the connection was broken. So yeah, always worth checking.
0: Yeah, just to be sure, to be sure. Um, and as well, I, for tonight, if, if, if we're, we're, I'm recording I have the recording uh, rolling along yet and we've got video here, we'll probably release this as audio. But um, I do end up having, a, I managed to drop a, uh, some sort of chair from the attic as I brought it down. So I have this kind of, it looks like a, a kind of a fly trying to steal a, an election just floating around here <laughs> so um <laughs> i don't think we'll be talking about that fly tonight we'll probably be we'll, be we'll stick to the godfly so it would stick to the godfly <laughs> so um <laughs> that's probably a suitable point um to to, to start with and um, do you want to uh tell us tell us about the philosophy short course uh,
1: yeah so uh I suppose uh, I look. I, I studied philosophy at university. I did uh, my BA in literature and philosophy. Then I got my master's, and then I started doing a PhD. Took me about a year and a half to realize that that was a really terrible idea, and uh, that was at Warwick. And uh, no disrespect to Warwick, of course. Um, and uh, so. I had this background in, in philosophy. I then moved into educational technology for the last 12 years. And I was always looking for a way to kind of combine my interest in ed tech and my passion for philosophy. But two years ago, I launched philosophyshortcourse.com, which is a, it's effectively a resources website for people who are interested in teaching philosophy. So it has everything from what you might call student stimulus material, to templates for helping with planning, to uh, advice about how to convince your principal to let you run a philosophy course. so it's really tries to be kind of holistic. And then about a year ago, i uh, I overcame that devil fear uh, declan. I've been wanting to do a kind of a live event for a long time, and uh, I, I kind of sat myself down and realized the only reason I hadn't done it yet is because I was afraid I was going to look stupid and nobody would come and nobody would speak and that it would be a failure. And, uh, you know, I just decided that that was no good reason to stop me from doing something. So I plowed on. We had our first conference in March. um, We had 100 uh, signups, had amazing speakers, we have our second conference coming up on August seventeenth, so this interview is timely, and um, yeah, it's really just an opportunity to bring some of the amazing talent that we have in in Ireland, and also some voices from uh, the UK um, to an Irish audience, and, and just just to share ideas and inspire and uh, get the conversation going. So I'm really happy with it. Oh, cool! So um, that was that was Gladfly One. And, yes. Uh,
0: now we're moving on to Gladfly 2.
1: Yeah, and Gladfly uh, 3 is actually coming up in Easter, and I've already booked some really fat people for that. So, uh, you know, the, the, the machine rolls on.
0: Oh, fantastic. So um, I suppose a lot of people listening, they have the various levels of um, familiarity with philosophy. So I think if we, if we work in from the, the name of the event, Gladfly, um, what, what is that all about?
1: Sure. So the Godfly is a, uh, a metaphor from, um, the Apology. Uh, basically, it's a metaphor for what, uh, philosophy is and what's how Socrates saw himself. So Socrates is one of these characters who was probably a bit of a pain to deal with. Um, he, uh, looked around him in the society that he lived in and realized that a lot of the people who enjoyed power and privilege and influence uh, maybe didn't know what they were talking about so much um, and really didn't examine their own ideas and um, didn't have solid reasons for holding their positions. And so he developed this thing called the Socratic Method, which is, I suppose it's an antidote to being a jerk, so rather than just confrontationally putting his finger in people's chests, uh, he came up with this idea that maybe we should have a little bit of empathy and we should question other people about why they hold the positions they do rather than forcing our own ideas upon them. So the Godfly metaphor is a horse fly that bites horses and he saw himself as kind of an agitator of sorts. So, uh, I think philosophers are often quite mischievous people, so it seemed like a good idea. <laughs> yeah.
0: And <laughs> his, his whole way of um, approaching philosophy, um, I suppose, it, so for some people, philosophy was almost invented with Socrates. Um, yeah. There's the pre-Socratics, which is everyone before him and then yeah. you know everything after him. Um, and I suppose people talk about the Socratic method and... Um, uh-huh. Is that something, I suppose, that's central in teaching philosophy to a younger audience, which is our core interest, I suppose, as we discuss
1: this? uh, Let me see. The Socratic method, I think, is a very good dialogic technique, and it's a very good way to frame discussions and debates. And the aspirations that it has are really asking people to question the reasons that they have for holding certain positions. Um, it's a methodology it's a methodological approach to conversation and to inquiry. Um, it is useful in classrooms and it's something that as a maybe a fan of the history of philosophy, I feel people should know about, but it's not it's not central. I mean you can certainly do philosophy without using the Socratic method, let's say. Yeah,
0: yeah, absolutely. So it, it could be overplayed to say that it was central. central yes, uh, yeah,
1: yeah. And look, I mean, we all know what happened to him. Uh, you know, he, <laughs> was, he, was, he was forced to drink hemlock by the state because he just antagonized too many people. And anybody who's had to deal with the philosopher at a dinner party uh, really could probably empathize maybe more with their leaders at the state than with Socrates himself. We can be a bit annoying. <laughs> Hopefully in a good way. <laughs> <laughs> I
0: think um there's just one word you mentioned there it was a dialogic. Just do you, want, do you want to explain that, um
1: what that is and sure. So um maybe we could contrast it with um a more didactic approach. So a dialogic approach is uh, uh it's it's a pedagogical approach or an approach based in in teaching methodology where you engage in you start off from a position of of empathy with the person that you're arguing with or against. um, And it is a a method of dialoguing with somebody who may hold positions that are opposite to you um, in a way that's mutually respectful, that allows you to form what we call a community of inquiry. Um, so, rather than being the top-down uh, know-it-all who transfers uh, his his great knowledge to the other person he's talking with, it's really a discursive technique to co-discover some truth. Um, and what I like about it is that at its core, it has this idea of intellectual humility. So. You, you're familiar with the phrase, why is this is he who uh, knows he knows nothing at all. And um, the dialogic uh, method really has um, humility at its core. Let's have a conversation about this. Tell me where you're coming from. Maybe I'm going to learn something I didn't know. Um, and so that's a very appealing approach. I think it's non, non-confrontational, even though it did result in the first instance in death.
0: which is interesting when you move from non-confrontational (laughs) confrontation yeah
1: (laughs) well look if you annoy the wrong people
0: (laughs) something's never changed (laughs) i i think it's i think it's just as a side diversion. i think it's a really interesting method because um definitely at work i think it's it's basically it's it's phrasing your point that you want to get across your agenda but you're getting Mm -hmm. there via questions and yeah. you're, you're, you're basically asking the other person at each point to justify their position. And you're almost branching. As each time they answer yes, no, you're kind of branching the difference and bringing yeah. them down that path until either they end up in contradiction or they, they actually end up with the right answer. And,
1: you know, you, you, you have to go, okay, there you go. Yeah, um, but w- one of the things I, I love about it also is that um, there's no there's no guarantee, I suppose, that the other person will end up adopting mm. your presumed correct uh, position. There's every opportunity for you to discover something during the dialogue that you didn't know. And mm. we all get things wrong, of course. So I like the humility of it where uh, you start from a place where you genuinely want to have a dialogue with someone, a two-way exchange of ideas. Um, and you may end up, holding the same position that you started off with um, or, and, and having better reasons for it or changing your position and having better reasons for that. So I like the um, integrity of the approach, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it, and it's much easier
0: to back down from asking a question than it is yeah. to back down <laughs> from making it a very firm statement.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, and I, it's interesting you should mention mm-hmm. the workplace as well because these techniques are... Like extremely valuable and useful in the workplace in terms of collaborative problem solving, and we might talk a little bit about that later.
0: Yeah, yeah, and certainly in relation to the teaching of, of, of mm. philosophy to children. I think um, I want to touch on your. You're your, your obviously got a keen interest in film and philosophy. Yeah, and, uh, those two things overlap a lot. Um, did you did you spend much time kind of exploring that prior to maybe your your latest projects as you.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, you know, in a former life, and it really feels like a former life, I worked for a, a film production company um, called Vico Films, who, among a lot of other projects, have, uh, did uh, The Young Offenders, would be their most kind of famous work. Um, and great, great bunch of guys. So I was always interested in film. And then for my undergrad thesis, uh, I, I explored ideas around philosophy and film specifically as a film, as a way of doing philosophy. So what do I mean by that? Um, I focused on uh, uh, kind of key concerns for 20th century philosophers um, and really philosophers since the beginning of time. But um, let's say someone like Heidegger. So Heidegger uh, prioritizes our relationship to death. And he says, look, you are being towards death. And you have to apprehend that fact. You have to let it inform your decisions. It is part of the being of people that we are beings that will die. We have a terminus. Um, And how does that relate to film? Uh, Film deals with death in really interesting ways. So one way in which film can be maybe inauthentic or disingenuous is that often we are presented with the concept of death through a villain or a killer or a murderer um, or maybe a supernatural force. Uh, And in those films, the hero always conquers death, always triumphs over it. And one of the ideas I was exploring in the thesis was that this fosters an inauthentic apprehension of uh, our own being towards death. We have this vicarious experience of confronting death and then ultimately, we're relieved of that burden because the hero conquers the villain, and we can go back to neglecting our duty of care to our own finitude. And um, so, uh, God, I feel like I'm just writing my entire thesis there. <laughs> it was an undergrad thesis. It was short. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's great synopsis. <laughs> if you had yeah. to defend your thesis, I think you've just uh, gotten your qualification. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> um, it's yeah, it's really interesting. I, I'm. I'm dying to just go down that route and and jump on that and talk more about it. But I think when we chatted before, I think we both admitted to each other, we could end up talking for about 20 hours about philosophy. (laughs) That is uh, is absolutely true. Yeah. (laughs) I'll pull back from the break, but what might be nice is just, I suppose, just we touched on Heidinger. Maybe a lot of people won't be familiar with Heidinger listening. Um, Heidinger, uh, I suppose he was one of the first philosophers that focused on being. I think it was, I can't get the pronunciation or D- Dassen, Dasein, Dasein,
1: Dasein. Dasein. Um, I'm sure that I'm sure any German listeners will correct us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> um,
0: and I think I think it's it literally is the act of being, right? I mean, I'm not super familiar, but mm. is, that is it. And it it led to other branches of maybe philosophy afterwards. Um, Kierkegaard and ex, ex, existentialism. Well, yeah, I'm trying to get my ordering of Kierkegaard right. Actually, I'm not sure who was first there, but. But certainly existentialism and and the focusing on being and and what it is to be something, to to, to be an actual thing in the world, which is an unusual thing if you've never heard this from philosophy.
1: I mean, look, you're really getting into uh, the the deeper end of things. And I mean, Heidegger himself knew that. You know, he said it's the great forgotten question of philosophy, uh, the question of being. How I like to think about it is um, we have... A conception of the ontology or the being of things around us, things like tables and chairs, um, but we don't reflect very much on the nature of being itself and the nature of of what it means to be a human being. So this led him in the second half of being in time uh, to perform this kind of existential analytics. So what is it to be a human and how is that distinct from the being of other entities around us? And um, now, one of the ways in which we're, we're different from other entities is that we have um, a sense of our own death. So that is one way in which we're distinct from tables, chairs, perhaps even animals. Um, other aspects that he explored in, in, in that book would be um, we're kind of equi primordially constituted as being with. So what does that mean? Um, it means that no man is an island. Um, part of being human is to be in a relationship to others, and there is a sense of a duty of care to those others implicit in that definition of being. Um, he, you know, he discusses a whole load of really esoteric and difficult, terse stuff. But um, maybe the existential analytic stuff would be the, the the most easy to to, to get into.
0: Yeah. Well, i won't drag us I, I won't drag us there i'll just, <laughs> I'll, just <laughs> I'll just um I just uh footnote that the word ontology in there is literally just the i suppose the study of being, so uh, ontology is the act of existence well, that might not be quite correct, but it's it's concerned with existence it's the study of of how things exist you you could exist or you could not exist, and all these kind of questions are are ontological questions yeah. and it's a
1: classic philosophical question because it's the type of question that nobody in their right mind would ask. I mean, who who sits down in the chair and goes, in what way is the nature of the being as a human distinct from the being of other entities? I mean, it's a classic, but it is also our absolutely everyday comportment. The way that we are in the world is the way that we are in the world every day. You'd never ask the question of what is the nature of that relationship you just do it. So it's a great example of a philosophical question, because it's the type of thing that people just absolutely would not consider. But once you do consider it, really fascinating ideas emerge.
0: Yeah, maybe it's a bit like a blind spot in your eye where you just never see this thing. And and you might dedicate your life as a scientist to studying everything around you and spend your whole life doing that and never like even
1: ask, even once, you know, the same questions of yourself yeah it's, um, it's like the fish asking hey what is this water you know yeah you don't. Yeah. You just you just swim in the water
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah well i'll try and i'll try and get us out of these deep waters um bring, <laughs> to the medium of film maybe um i was kind of thinking you know uh one interesting movie that a lot of people cite was the matrix for like a kind of archetypal yeah. movie philosophy mashup um do you think that's kind of a, a a pivotal moment in in philosophy and movies, but there's probably been
1: so many before that. But it's one that's yeah, well, cited a lot. Well, look, I mean, there was yeah, there it was. It was before you know the Good Place and before maybe films like Inception and and building on the work of you know in in maybe sci-fi classics like Blade Runner, Matrix really was. a a hugely explicitly philosophical film. Um, Mm. When Neo chooses between the red and the blue pill, um, it is really the choice of uh, the cave. Do you want to remain in comfort but ignorance? Or do you want to step into something that might be new and scary and undermine your whole understanding of the world around you? So, do you want to stay in the cave looking at the shadows or do you want to step out of the cave and see what the hell there is to see out there? And that metaphor is so simply and beautifully pushed in the film and also loads of guns and explosions. So, <laughs> I mean, it was an amazing feat to get all this dense philosophical stuff into a hugely enjoyable action film. So, yeah, I'm a big fan. Yeah, every philosopher loves guns and explosions. That's what we. Yeah, well, look, <laughs> you're not doing philosophy right if you don't. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's interesting. We'll, we'll leave the matrix, but if anyone wants to, you know, dive into the philosophy behind it, I was I just came across um, a podcast this week. I think it's called. Um, I could get this slightly wrong, but Google will correct it. Two philosophers drinking beer and discussing a film, and they're they're actually <laughs> they're very they're very very good. And they hold PhDs as well, and they're very um, knowledgeable and um, entertaining in how they approach it. So um, uh, I'll pop in the well, show notes,
1: <laughs> link to follow in the show notes. Yeah,
0: yeah. If <laughs> anyone if anyone wants to to learn more of the philosophy of, of the Matrix, there. And um, we should probably move uh, move move on from there. Maybe the philosophy short course wants to do for education what the the Matrix did for for film and and philosophy. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> so we look, should...
1: that that's that's a hell of a tall order. Yeah. <laughs> yeah
0: maybe we'll maybe we'll um do you want to talk more about that or do you want to talk maybe about the irish education system and philosophy In the, yeah the, the yeah well i mean the leaving the,
1: starts? the irish yes yeah, so the irish philosophical so the irish educational system um you won't hear many people saying this but uh oh sorry jacqueline you frozen there oh dear uh that's Oh no, there you go i have I'm you now. back again so Fantastic. Uh, I'll, I'll start again um you won't hear very many people say this, but, uh, you know, the Irish educational system has a lot to be admired for. So um, in 2015, the department published uh, the Junior Cycle Reform document. It was based on a huge consultation, um, ranging probably too many years, frankly, um, where they listened to the concerns of teachers who were sick and tired, frankly, of teaching to the terminal exam the rote learning, the filling of the pail, not enough lighting of the fire, um, and how they addressed those concerns was they said, look, we're going to have a new emphasis for the junior cycle, we're going to reform the way that we do things, we're going to place greater emphasis on things like uh, self-directed learning, metacognition, well-being, collaborative problem solving, um, and we're going to create space in the, in the timetable really is the challenge to allow these different types of learning experiences to occur. And the report was published in 2015, um, philosophers were perhaps uncharacteristically quick and organized and jumped in, and 2016 was the, the National Curriculum for Philosophy short course was published. So um, that was a really exciting moment for anybody who cares about philosophy.
0: And and what was your role in that in relation to the philosophy short course? You 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 created that. Was that in collaboration with others?
1: Um, yes. Yeah, so I was. So the philosophy short course that work was done by an extraordinary uh, team of people preceding me, um, including um, characters like um, Bonnie Mahan, Mel um, Rice, Daniel Pedderidge, uh, really like luminaries in the field of philosophy, communication, and education. Where I came in was about two years later when I launched the Philosophy Short Course website. So, what I realized was, well, the gap that I tried to fill, I suppose, is the curriculum is great and it's got so much great material in it, but it doesn't have a lot of resources. And I felt that if I could make the job easier for teachers by building this website, that's how I was going to contribute to the movement, as it were. So that's where the site really came from. And I've been really fortunate to collaborate with, and I had some of them speak at the first Godfly to get these people to speak about their experiences, getting philosophy launched and up and running in Ireland. So um, the short course formally is, uh, it's 100 hours taught, you know, that equates to roughly one hour a week for first year, second year, and third year. That's maybe 12 to 16-year-olds and um, for the non-Irish audience. Um, and it allows teachers to take time out of the timetable, reduce the number of course subjects, and do something new and exciting. And philosophy is one of those new and exciting things. Uh, there are others, but you can listen to another podcast about them.
0: <laughs>
1: Fantastic! The uh,
0: I won't even I won't even hazard a guess at what other, what other courses we could be. <laughs> well, no, we I mean they're, in, they're in, great. In
1: things like, <laughs> the things like the computing and animal mm. care and Chinese and I mean they're they're good stuff, but um mm. you know, not my passion.
0: F- f- philosophy would be the one that turns them from kind of tempestuous teenagers into kind of wise and orderly philosophers. So it's it's a, it's
1: a worthwhile. <sighs> I hope. God, I hope not. I hope not. I hope <laughs> philosophy lights the fires and turns over the tables. <laughs> um,
0: so
1: I suppose, like, on
0: that, that that note, then, like, I suppose, why should uh, maybe someone care about philosophy and education? Maybe from like the student perspective. Um, sure. First of um, all.
1: So, first of all, it's fun. So, you will have fun in the philosophy classes. It's not a DOS, but it's, engaging, you'll explore new ideas that you're not allowed to anywhere uh, else. And when I say not allowed to, I mean really not allowed to. So the types of conversations that you have in a philosophy class are, um, you know, they're dangerous ideas and they have to be handled carefully, but they're exciting just for that reason. Um, I suppose the second, maybe more pragmatic reason would be, you know, the World Economic Forum released this uh list of, of, you know, top 20 skills um, for employees in 2025. And it really reads like the learning outcomes off of philosophy class. So um, the top 10 skills, and I have them here because um, I often bring this up from the world economic forum inform, um, analytic thinking, uh, active learning, complex problem solving, critical thinking, creativity, leadership, Um, resilience, reasoning, problem-solving, and ideation. I mean, the type of skills that you're going to need in the future is not the stuff that you're learning now. Committing things to memory, that's a useless skill. Uh, The application of those ideas in new scenarios, identifying new problems, solving things, arguing with people, collaborating, um, those are the skills you're going to need in the future. That's what's going to make you valuable to an employer, Um, now and in the future. Um, So, and lastly, um, you know, I guess I'd say to students, you know, you're not alone. Um, Lots of people think that the world is really messed up and a lot of people think that society is very unfair. A lot of people are really confused about what love is or what art is. Um, And philosophy class is an opportunity to, like, learn from people who have had these ideas before, stand on the shoulders of these people, and maybe, you know, one of the one of the really rewarding phenomena that happens in a philosophy class is students who wouldn't ordinarily talk to each other and um, find out the most fascinating things about each other. There's a, a real opportunity to connect with people, find out what's going on in their heads that you, you just don't get in other classes. So, I think, you know, philosophy is a great idea for students.
0: Yeah, and I suppose you're right in that, like, people are confused and, uh, you know, in, in maybe perhaps now than maybe in certain other recent history, kind of uh, times in recent history. Um, mm-hmm. After the kind of post-war periods, you know, I think World mm-hmm. War II and that, the, the scale of the destruction and the crises that were, were going on and the things that people couldn't believe they, they had seen and and heard about and that the world had experienced that like philosophy like existentialism i think really pushed on at, at that point and came into its own with people like uh john paul sat and uh de beauvoir um you know and Hannah
1: Arendt, of course Arendt. yeah
0: you, you know the, the list could go on and i do wonder and of course it's always optimistic thinking but i'm sure there's some truth with it that something like that will happen um you know in terms of doesn't have to be you don't you know what to call it philosophy, but some big changes to how we think about things and how we approach things could come out of, you know, the turbulent, you know, maybe whatever you call it. You could say five years, decade, two decades. It depends on how, how much turbulence you want to go back to. But yeah, um, something may, may, may be born out of that, perhaps.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I'm I, I think COVID has forced people to. I hate to bring up COVID because God, are we all sick of it? But anyway, <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I think you know a reevaluation of values in the face of COVID. You know, what are we really here for? What's important to us? Who is important? Who is valuable in society? And um, nothing like a pandemic to bring out the the sharp end of the stick. And answering these questions, who deserves to get the, the vaccines first? Um, uh, you know, what, how much quantity of life is valuable? Do we save people who are 90 years old? Um, do we prioritize children of them? So it really forces a lot of really thorny decisions. And if, I mean, I don't envy the teams who have to do the thinking behind the policies and um, but that's, you know, richly philosophical, if you know, a little bleak.
0: Certainly, yeah. And I suppose the other elephant in the room to add to that list is things like AI coming along, and you know, more AI, um m- perhaps on the march towards general artificial intelligence. We might be maybe not we're definitely on the march towards <laughs> something um and something that we haven't encountered before. So yeah, you know, ethics, ethics of these systems. I see massive opportunities in, in that um, and to be, you know, leading that conversation and thinking in that. If, if someone does study a subject like philosophy, um, why not? You
1: know? Yeah. And I've been really heartened by, uh, you know, I do a lot of kind of public philosophy events, Socrates Cafe. Um, I, I help an, an, another friend, uh, Lucas Crisson, who runs a great public philosophy event called The Philosopher's Heart. And we've had scientists join us um, who have taken courses in philosophy, and they said it has revolutionised their approach to the field, um, to the field of science that they work in. Um, regarding AI, full disclosure, my day job is AI, so yeah. that's that's what I work in. Um, t- so the philosophy, all the philosophy work that I do, is really evening and and passion stuff. Uh, the the thing that uh, pays for all these. Fancy, life fixture is uh, is is ai so what would i say about it it's in defense uh, <laughs> i guess what i'd say is that it is like many things it's a tool so it can be used you know benevolently or it can be used in a in a, in a careless way and thoughtlessly um my own field is ai in education um really what we're seeking to do is Deliver better learning outcomes for students and reduce administrative workload on teachers um, using machine learning and and adaptive learning. Um, I see that as a benevolent project. Um, There are known issues around bias in AI, and there are known issues in um, access to AI. Um, But yeah, you know, it's not all bad, definitely. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Not at all. (laughs) And it's it's interesting, just to to give a more concrete example following off now, is is when we do talk about those biases in AI, like maybe, so an example would be that the data has more prevalent, you know, uh, members of a certain population. So the data is just more tuned for a certain population. And then when it encounters minorities, it's going to find that it can't deal with that as well. And we, we'll get very sidetracked if we go into all the, the problems of that, but you could bring all the different philosophical tools in on that and approaches. Yeah. You could bring in existentialism and start to say, well, let's look at it from, you know, the person's perspective, first of all, what is it like being that mm-hmm. minority? What is it like them? So one of the examples I think was um, water, water taps, water fonts in a bathroom that work on certain color skin, but not others. Yeah, even putting yourself in the shoes of being that person <clears throat> walking in to use that. Well, that's going to feed into that. that that's basically the art of being at some level and, and mm. so much existentialist thinking. Um, and that can then inform you how better to design that to bring it to a product team. Um, mm. And also there's, you can look at it in the other way for more an- analytical philosophy and the drier, more, let's say um, structured stuff. We won't go. I won't, dive into that now but just having all those tools to approach that problem
1: they're, they're just so practical um yeah and, and what it's more a, than people a, think <laughs> it's a nice you know it's a nice reminder as well that you can be enthralled to the idea that your solution design is so logical and objective and codified and binary that, of course, it exists in its own universe, quite distinct from the real world of everyday people. Um, but the skin color is a fantastic example. Um, why is it that uh, AI has such problems recognizing different skin tones? Because there is no design Out of context, there's always a hermeneutic element to any work that we do, no matter how seemingly mathematical or logical or scientific it is. um, And being cognizant of the impact of our own hermeneutics on the work that we do in AI is something that, um, you know, it's becoming more and more known as an issue in the industry and and is something... uh, a lot of people are spending a lot of time trying to figure out and and just on the word hermeneutics
0: there, I guess it's it's similar to interpretation interpreting mm. something in its context, so often used, I suppose with with scholars of of ancient texts, mm. they try to to position themselves in that moment in time, thousands of years ago or whatever it was, or it could be hundreds of years ago or fifty years ago, but mm. to to get the the sense of of the surrounds. Because the meaning will change depending on those surrounds, and 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 that's what you're saying to the herme- hermeneutics there. I yeah,
1: think. yeah, and, and being aware of your own, you know, your own baggage you bring to the table. Uh, there is no objective I. Uh, you know, we are again back to ontology. You know, the nature of being a human is that we bring ourselves with us wherever we go. Uh, unfortunately, oh well, maybe fortunately as well.
0: No. <laughs> It's a paradox. It's a paradox. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we've established that that students would be would be foolish not to study the subject. We know what's in it for the students. Um, anyone listening to this um, that that has children will be pushing them down this route. Any children listening to this will definitely be jumping at the bit to study the subject.
1: What would be in it for teachers? Ah, uh, so teachers, right? Teachers, <sighs> teachers, teachers teachers was the ones who drove the reform for the junior cycle because as i said they didn't sign up to fill the pail or fill the bucket or whatever that metaphor is they they signed up to light the fire and that's what happens in philosophy classes um go to one Uh try and run one go to my site Download a lesson plan about some area that you find interesting. It might be philosophy of science, it might be ethics, it might be philosophy of art, philosophy of sport. Try and run a, a, a class uh, in philosophy. And you'll find yourself having the most engaging and exciting and inspiring interactions with your students um, that you ordinarily might, you know, happen upon Once a lucky Friday, when you take the the foot off the the pedal to get, you know, the facts in for the terminal exam or whatever assessment you've set them coming up, that that occasional Friday, when you take your foot off the pedal, and you really explore the fundamental ideas in the subject that you love, um, those interactions are the core of philosophy classes. You can do philosophy in any other class. If you're questioning fundamental ideas, if you're having exciting conversations, if you're fostering independent learning, that's the philosophical edge to your classes. Having a dedicated class for philosophy just puts that front and center. Those beautiful moments of engagement—that's what philosophy classes can create.
0: Yeah, I think it's it's probably it's, it's very impactful that way, and mm-hmm. certainly can be done right. Um, I think it's kind of like sometimes you think back moments of your life, maybe like a, a holiday or a moment mm. in a holiday or, or, or a moment in your experience. And the one that jumps out at you, you just have this clear, you can picture the moment, you know, being in that restaurant or on that beach. And at the time, you probably didn't pay that much attention. It just mm. seemed like that. And for some reason, this moment sticks out with you and you're trying to figure out why does this moment stick out and resonate with me? But this other much better on paper holiday seems, seems to be, should have been more impact, better. And I think there is something like that to philosophy that it does it, it is surprisingly um, impactful and i i don't know what ai don 't know what a fifteen you know thirteen year old me or seventeen year old me would have thought mm-hmm. of it um, but you know I guess that experiment's hard to run, but I definitely think it's it's a great experiment to run for 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 someone in that that age these days for sure
1: yeah i mean they 're already asking the questions themselves you know they 're already you know, we talk about the rebelliousness of, of teenagers and um, they're questioning the nature of authority. That is something that philosophers have done time immemorial and have wrestled with and struggled with and given birth to social movements through. Um, that's what teenagers do. Uh, they don't like being told what to do. They, don't, they want to know, why do you have the authority to tell me what to do? They're falling in love. They—it's confusing. I mean, Jesus, I still find it confusing. I'm I'm 41 years old now, (laughs) Zach. You know, they're—they're grappling with these questions anyway uh, to bring them into the class and to create a space. Really, it's a thinking space that you're creating for them in the class. It's hugely rewarding. Yeah, fantastic. Um, On that note, then teaching of
0: children—what is Mm. what is different? when it comes to teaching children, or maybe even... Uh, I suppose, first of all, you deal, do you deal with a range of ages? I think you, you, it
1: was the whole secondary Yeah, range. so, it's, so it's, it's the core focus of the website is really 12 to 16, and the short course, the official one, is that age group. group. But there's a huge cohort of, of researchers and active teachers working in, in primary school. Um, what are the differences? Uh. One might be, you shouldn't think that you're doing less sophisticated work because it's being presented in a simpler way. I think that's a mistake. So if you're working with young students, you might use more games and interactivity and visual stimuli, and you might assign less reading. But if you're talking to a six-year-old and you're saying to them, Okay, so what animal would make the best disco dancer or accountant? If they consider your question, ask you to clarify what you mean, give you an answer, give you reasons for that answer, listen to the other kids' answers respectfully, learn from the other kids, question the other kids about their reasons. I mean, you're there. You know, that is the work. That is that is the, you know, deeply important skill. You're creating a community of inquiry. Yes, it's about does Batman beat Superman? Yes, it's about hand puppets. Yes, it's about picture books that are deceptively complex, actually. Um there's really rich stuff in picture books. Um but if you're getting that work done, philosophy is happening. And, you know, you've done your job at, at any age level. So there's, there's amazing work being done at primary level in Ireland also. And one of my one of my uh, presenters at Godfly 2 works exactly in this area. So I'm really looking forward to, to hear what she has to say. Dr. Uh, Lucy Elvis out of NUIG. So uh, with the older kids, I suppose it is... Thematically, you might explore things like um, racial inequality. You might explore things like um, the foundations of authority. You might explore things like the nature of education, Um, different tone, different emphasis, maybe more mature concepts and ideas, but the same philosophical principle. Um, You know, as long as the method is happening, doesn't really matter what you're talking about. Yeah, and, and this
0: this also can be used for after-school clubs as well. It, it, you know, yeah, uh, as well, isn't
1: it? Yeah, and, and really amazing initiative from some uh, teachers and um, assistants running classes in libraries, after-school clubs, um, summer camps as well. I mean, there's even been philosophy camps done at uh, Electric Picnic. You know, and. Um, so, yeah, and, and hats off to them for the initiative of, of, of taking it up. But um, you don't need much. You need a few core ideas. You need some skills in how to lead the class in an inquiry. And uh, you need a space where you can talk freely. Um, it's not uh, materials-heavy.
0: Yeah, would, would it be suitable for parents? Or is that better? Like, there are a lot of books at the moment that parents can buy Would you recommend this approach or is this a little bit more um, for something like at least, let's say, a minimum bar of an after-school club in terms of that structure, that resourcing, that planning? Yeah,
1: I mean, I think there are a lot of materials out there that parents could pick up and use. Um, Why am I being so hesitant here? Yes, you can have philosophically rich conversations with your kids. Um, Do not underestimate the extraordinary skill set and professionalism of teachers when you try and do that. Uh, Anybody who's been trying to homeschool during this pandemic will very quickly realize teaching is bloody hard. Um, it's very hard. You come into it with all of your own sets of ideas about how it's going to go, and you're impatient with them, and they don't give you the right answers, and then you realize that's not what you're there for anyway. You know, I'm I'm speaking from a lot of personal experience here. (laughs) Um, It can be done, and there's some beautiful books and some great resources. I can send you some links on uh, afterwards. Um, But yeah, it's... uh, it's no walk in the park. You do need to put in the practice to get it right, you know? Yeah, yeah,
0: absolutely. And there are there are a lot of there are a lot of resources now as well, you know, especially younger kind of fiction books that target, you know, that they're aimed more, you know, nine, certainly nine years of age, yeah. some that are younger and, and things like that, all, all yeah. the way up. So it's it's becoming a
1: a more mainstream um children's book. Actually, books, you've uh, you've just reminded me. Uh there's a fantastic book, which is a good place to start because it's narrative in structure. It's a storybook. It's not flashcards, which are available and are great, but it's very accessible. Um, it is called The Philosophy of Resistance Squad. It's written by an Irish guy called uh, Dr. Robert Grant. To give him his full due, and he's actually going to be talking at um, the Godfly event on the 17th. He spoke at the first one very briefly, and the book is lovely and um, it's a great introduction to um, philosophical ideas and the storyline is fantastic. It's about a kid who um, gets a scholarship to go to a, a private school, a very fancy school. He's a bit of a fish out of water and uh, he quickly realizes that uh, not everything is as it seems uh, at his school and um he comes across some characters who help him uh, make sense of what's really going on um, it's yeah it's a lovely story so yeah uh, recommend that Oh, fantastic yeah um, do you have kids yourself uh, Declan? yes i do
0: indeed and i've i've experimented with the the philosophy How's it gone? Uh, education has it gone
1: honestly <laughs>
0: um, i suppose i've 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 studied a bit of philosophy and i'm i've, I've you know I'm, I'm into it obviously or i yeah. probably wouldn't be here my being would be somewhere <laughs> else to, to bring hatinger back into it um so it's not my my first philosophical rodeo but um i, I find i find it brilliant um i suppose mainly because kids are so open-minded that you don't expect them to say the things that they mm. that they say um, and it's, yeah. it's 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 bizarre like it's 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 really bizarre the things that they 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 might say um some of them i would almost i'm almost hesitant to repeat (laughs) (laughs) Ah, 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 ah. (laughs) for fear of who might arrive on my doorstep but um yeah definitely like here's one weird one um that 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 my daughter said was was just well what 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 is always available now she's she's very young she's like you know in the four age range said what what is always available I was like, hmm. And she was like, Love. And I was just like, the abstract language going on in there. And that's obviously, really sweet. I. I, I and, and then there was a big hug, fantastic. And I was in tears. You know, I was like, Ah, that's <laughs> sweet. You know, that, that was only a few minutes before we did this. So I was, I was boy, No, that's that slightly <laughs> embellished. But no, no. And it's, but they do, they do kind of just, they're very open. You know, as you said, cog, cognizantly, they're not, they're not. And I think that's to your point of you're not doing less sophisticated stuff. You can, I think sophisticated often means abstraction. Where can <clears throat> someone take something from the specifics of the real world, generalize it up and either repackage that out as, as a, a new kind of phrase like that that's quite quite interesting <clears throat> um, or, or to apply it in a different way or just to hold it in the abstract, even in their head. And, you you, you know, you can't see into, into that. They can do that, like kids can, can do that. Yeah. We, that I think is where, where where things get interesting and where philosophy can be particularly powerful. And maybe maths can do an element of that, a, a strong element of that. Mm. But it's in within mathematical language. And I think philosophy can bring that to a, a syntactic language. There is this whole thing of philosophy of language. Um, mm. and kids of language going around in their head and they've got ways of thinking and it just, it, it stretches those, I think. And and it's like anything, the younger you can do this kind of thing, the better, right? I mean, you know, it, it just to, you know, for interest and development and and fun and all these things. So, yeah. Yeah. So, so.
1: I, you know, I find it, you know, I find it, you might know what I mean by this phrase, uh, but I, it's difficult to get out of your own way. And um, mm-hmm when you're dealing with with kids you know to, to to have that ability to kind of stand back and let the things unfold and let them get confused and let them contradict each other and um, yeah to not step in as the parent and correct the course and reframe things and make sure that they get the right conclusion because that's really your role as a parent and um, when you try and split yourself you know, I can do it with strangers, and I, you know, I, I teach sometimes at Gonzaga, and I I love it. Um, But with your own kids, you know, I'm just thinking about it now. Yeah, you have that tension. Whereas a parent, you're supposed to guide them to the right answer, and that's really not what you're supposed to be doing in uh, in philosophy, I suppose. <laughs>
0: yeah, Maybe, yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. At times. I think. I think a big part is framing. I think like the act of of parenting, often not to get too sidetracked in this, but the act of parenting, um, one massive tool is framing. So, um, just just giving them context to see what happened. So, um, let's say they were playing in a soccer match and you know things didn't go well, and they're okay. like, "Oh well," they come off and they might feel good, you know. Um, you know, if you frame it in that, like, well, you know, your own, you know, you did well. You 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 showed, you know all the good attributes that you, you know that we could list out um and even if even if they didn't you know you still tried tried well tried hard and and the big thing is and i think this is a great thing from the stoics who kind of a group of philosophers that that ran around a similar time to to, to socrates mm. um um or maybe just after predominantly but uh you know they they always said well I, I think they could almost, you could sum up their motto as almost, it could always get worse, right? Yeah. And, yeah. You know, uh, and, and you, like, sometimes I might say something, it might sound crazy, I might say, well, look, it's better than, you know, getting injured, right? I mean, because yeah. then you, you won't be able to play soccer for maybe, you know, a week, weeks, months. And, and then, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with saying, well, you know, that will happen someday. I mean, it's not just a, an abstract thing. Yeah. Everyone that does this gets injured um, at some point. Now, it doesn't have to be, you know, <laughs> yeah, career, uh, ending. career ending, career-ending, <laughs> even for a philosopher. But but then they will one day get that injury. And the framing, even though it's quite long term, they will remember that you, you said that. And it, yeah. it's amazing when you when you land in a bad situation, having been prepared for it compared to landing in a bad situation. I think there's a world of difference and framing is everything. I think I just think it's. It's half the act of parenting, art of parenting. Act might be more appropriate.
1: Um, yes, well, you are assuming a <laughs> role. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, no, that's, um, that's really beautifully put, um, Declan. Yeah, no, I like that. I, yeah, I really like that. Um, I, I tend to, to talk about, look, know the things that you can control and the things that you can't, you can't control if you win the game. You can't control, did you show up? Did you put in your best? Did you support your teammates or did you bitch and moan about some bad pass? Did you shout at the referee? How did you conduct yourself? Did you have good, um, did you behave virtuously? I suppose, if you want to guess, use the terminology and um, those things you can control. Uh, but the outcome, look, there's only so much you can do, uh, now I, I've never had to say that to my kids because he always wins football. He's amazing. But you know, <laughs> <laughs> I hope we never end up. I hope our kids
0: never end up playing each other. This could be. Uh, I don't know. What, what, te- what team do you play for? What? Uh, Rovers. Okay. Uh, okay. And and Saint John's. So we've we've got the GA and the uh, the soccer going. Holy moly! I
1: tell you what. Playing for. Very- Play for unsporty. those teams. You better get used to failure. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I don't even know. Them. I'm kidding. I'm kidding.
0: <laughs> and there's no edit button on this. So I can't even cut that out. <laughs> 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 um, but de- de- definitely, well, one thing I, I I found sport way more incredible. Um, you know, as as a, as a thing to do, I can see the benefits of sport. And um, never having been that sporty myself, and if I pan the camera down. You know, but my, my belly will afford uh, to the, the lack of sport. You know. so this, oh, is, oh. this is the, I don't know where the, the genetics and this one came from, but um, <laughs> maybe, well, look. Maybe not if, my you're, side.
1: if you find yourself increasingly interested in sport, it's one of the strands on the short course. So philosophy of sport is one of the ten areas that students cover uh, in the in the, or can cover in the short course. So a lot of it is elective. Um, so philosophy of sport is surprisingly rich and surprisingly interesting i was dreading having to create that page and actually ended up really enjoying it so jump in if you have a moment
0: (laughs) fantastic (laughs) Um, i think i think i may need to do that and do you have kind of a a series we've talked about a few of them is there like a top three favorite philosophers that you like to go to for 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 this are some easier to to bring into these younger audiences and situations than others
1: so what resonates? Um, what resonates with the audience that you're with? Um, as I said, philosophy is a little bit mischievous. So if I'm teaching in a particularly religious school, I like to do Nietzsche. Um, I like to uh, introduce new ideas about. <clears throat> Their revaluation their of ethics, his criticism of uh, Christianity as he understood it. Um, so I'm, I'm a bit mischievous in that way. Plus, you know, his aphorisms are so profoundly insightful um, and and short that they can really be presented quickly, and they're like lightning rods for for action. So I find. Nietzsche, to be a great thinker for the age group that I work with, as um, Simone de Beauvoir, uh, we've already spoken about her, um, in terms of the extent to which gender identity is a performative act and what it is to be a woman and how that's distinct from what it is to be a man. Um, I, I would love to bring in Heidegger, but it's just... There's so many hills to climb before you can get into them that i wouldn't I wouldn't do it to them um, <laughs> and then you know characters like um Sartre uh, Descartes is amazing um it's extremely readable, extremely accessible um Hume Hume is like you're literally in the pub talking to David Hume it's just. The way that he writes it 's so readable and it 's so <laughs> engaging um, so they' be i guess some of them' it's hard to have favorites, but they are my favorites oh, very interesting yeah but well, what about you who uh, who would you uh find inspiring or who resonated with you during your studies
0: yeah it's 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 interesting yeah the the, the different pathways um hume hume i i without diving into his points too much. Um, the way he sort of turned what you'd observe around in the universe or in the world, the sun coming up in the morning and going down, you would you would take that to be the surest thing you could bet on in yeah. the the field of what's called in, in philosophy, I suppose, the field of knowledge and certainty, which is called epistemology. And and then he said, but what grounds have you to suspect that sun, you know, will come up tomorrow? And your only grounds is you've seen it before, mm-hmm. um, and we there are things we're more certain of like a triangle we're 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 more certain of a triangle ironically because by definition it has three points we can be certain that a triangle will have to be a triangle but we're more certain about what is a triangle than the sun comes up the following morning and just (laughs) when he phrases that yeah uh, he didn't maybe say exactly like that but but sentiment similar to it and obviously go whoa well what about that sun and and okay we think that's going to come up but it does then, as you start to slide away from that, things that are a little bit less certain, and a little bit less certain, it gives you great ground, grounds for skepticism. And just that kind yeah. of
1: thinking is quite um, interesting. And, uh, yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, the point isn't that the sun isn't going to come up tomorrow, right? He wasn't insane. Um, hmm. the, the point is, how sure are you about the thing that you think you're surest about? Let's take the thing that you are totally sure about. Let's tease it a little bit. Let's let's interrogate it. Let's ask a few questions about it. Are you still so sure about it? What other things in your life did you previously think you were really sure about? Ash? Are you sure about them now? And it's it's a <laughs> beautiful entry point. Yeah. Yeah. That, that that stuff's great. So I would I would have probably
0: gone for a lot of the, the same people you, you cited yeah. there. Absolutely. The one other person I think that always just resonates with me, and again, it's kind of it's one on the parenting side that kind of comes in is 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 John Paul Sather. And uh, mm. again, post-war period, he's he's thinking he's seen the horrors of World War II. Um he uh, he even fought in World War II, though I think he got a stint as a, a weather a weather balloon person or a weather yes, observation. yeah, that's person. right, yeah. Uh, he wrote many things while he was doing that as well, so he had a lot of time to think. Let's put it this way, in. Yes. and <laughs> and um, I think what always excites me is you can almost distill some his stuff down. One interpretation is you always have a choice. Yeah, and we may feel that you know we may feel hopeless about. Uh, it could be anything from climate change to, to certain certain things in COVID or or vaccine hesitancy or people's attitudes, politics, you name it. Um, or we might feel we're backed into a, a situation where we really are in trouble. It's one day before an exam and we didn't study we, we spent that yeah. semester um, partying or Dirty. something like that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, or, or you might find that you, you, you know, again on a, on, a, on a sports pitch that you just can't do this. But hmm. you, you know. But then it, it, that brand of existentialism, when you when you look into it and, and, and study it, mm. he 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 forces upon you the fact that you always have a choice. Yeah, you may feel hopeless, but you you still have a choice, and that is what you have as an agent. And I think that's just
1: a very powerful idea. And people, but, but say, it's, it's what it is is it's mm. terrifying. Mm. Uh, it's, like, it's a yeah. terrifying idea because uh, it yeah. it it really holds you to account for continuing to choose the thing that you've said you don't want to, you know, I think of the dead end job, uh, the loveless marriage, the facing up to the fact that fear is the thing that's, you know, um, fear of knowing how free you are, uh, you know, keeps you stuck in the patterns and in a way, you know, what I was speaking about earlier, you know, getting over my own, stupid fear to run the conference and um, realizing that you're kind of a prisoner of lots of things that maybe you hadn't considered. And actually, you do have a lot of freedom. And it is ultimately you to whom you are accountable. You can choose your your essence, you know, who you want to be in life. You really do have a lot of choice. Um, and it's, it's dishonest to deny yourself that choice. Uh, so, suck it up and get on with it and realize and accept you've chosen it or change it up
0: <laughs> yeah <laughs>
1: that's a good way to put it and i have to <laughs> say at the same time uh
0: if i leaned on any any of the schools of of, of philosophy in that respect i, I i'd put myself down as a determinist so then you can ask how, oh, do, I, okay. how do i reconcile those two things and we, we'd end up talking about paradoxes for
1: for many oh, hours Oh no okay <laughs> well so, determinism we, is so easy to to understand free will in the face of determinism is really it's yeah. very awkward yes yeah, it so. is <laughs> uh, i i think i think
0: we'll save that one for the future
1: that sounds good to me uh, yeah absolutely
0: we, I didn't spend all the semester partying. I, I did do a little bit of pre-planning. We we, we both did um, chatting prior to this. So, and um, I do have I do have a couple of sections which I think I, I will put in reserve for the future. And um, one okay. one one I mightn't though um, is on uh, Crichtley. If I got the name right, did yes. did you want to drop Creechley in? Um,
1: yeah, I mean, I, I suppose... profess ignorance. <laughs> yeah, no. So why did? why do I want to talk about Krishna? So Simon Krishna is a philosopher and I suppose he is, a, a, his phraseology is really inspirational to me. So people often say, um, you know, why did you get into philosophy? Or why do, why would you bother? Um, and he has this beautiful, very short passage, and it's not like his most well-known piece by any means, but it really resonated with me. He said that, look, when you go to university, people will say, science begins in wonder, or philosophy begins in wonder at the world around you. And it's all very lofty and nice. And, and what I love about Krishna is he says that, look, philosophy is born of one of two types of disappointment. So there is disappointment with the world around you, the inequity that you see, the problems that you see, and that broadly is political disappointment. And then there is disappointment with whatever metaphysical story you've been told about the nature of the universe or who your God is or what the creator is. And that is religious disappointment. And he said, um, those are the real avenues into philosophy. When you look around the world that you see and wonder how have some things gone seemingly so wrong and persist for so long, that is the disappointment that drives political philosophy. And then the disappointment with the stories you know, you're know you told about how the universe works and your role and your place in it and your relationship to the creator – Disappointment with that is really the beginning of philosophy of religion and moral philosophy and so many epistemology and so many other branches. Um, And I always thought that formulation, it just really resonated with me. Um, Disappointment is the uh, the parent of philosophy. It's not wonder. It's not really love of wisdom. Is it really love of wisdom? Not so sure it is. I think he's, I think Christian is right. I think it's actually a disappointment. So <laughs> I'm not, I'm, I'm not cheering, you know?
0: <laughs> Oh, I think I start needing to remind myself of phrases like what is always available. Love and try to cheer myself yes, up now. Well, but...
1: <laughs> what is always a daddy, daddy is always available, especially when you're working.
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, there's a blockade uh, in this, this office uh, stu- makeshift studio door that, that no one is breaking down unless it's the, I don't know, <laughs> the FBI or something. the arrest warrant will need to be sent. <laughs> that is very interesting about Creechley. I, I, I have zero exposure to Creechley. It sounds like he would be good friends with Schopenhauer um, in in the sense of Schopenhauer. Also, I suppose, so um, the dark forces in the world, uh, Yeah, to, want to a better word. Um, I don't know if there's any tie between them, or
1: um... yeah, you know what, I I I I don't know hmm. of his dash to to hmm. Schopenhauer. Um, I do know that he's kind of an annoyingly cool dude. I think he <laughs> plays in a band, or he also writes children's books, or he also, um, you know. Does extreme sports or something? There's something about it where I was like, Oh, god, you're really gifted in philosophy, and you do this <laughs> other stuff as well. So, um I can't quite recall it now, but yeah, that was that was what I was left with.
0: (laughs) I'm looking forward to the album, you know, (laughs) disappointment. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: He's like, oh, he also sometimes plays bass on with the Who when they have reunion tours. It's something really appalling. Fantastic. (laughs) I'm I'm disgusted. (laughs) Um, what I might do is I'm
0: I'm conscious I want to talk about the event for sure. And um we're oh, coming goodness. up. We're, we've just hit around the, the hour mark. I know we've brought it in before. I'd like to tie it together. And we'll see then if we've time at the end, we we, we may return to, to some, you know, some of the other um few questions we had, but I'd love to talk about the event. Um sure. it's next week, it's yeah. too What we've already talked about it. Um, do you want to say about the the lineup? Um,
1: anything that you haven't talked about? You mentioned Oh my god, so the Go lineup, Declan. As, as as rich as the o- ocean is deep, um, <laughs> the lineup that I have for it is, like, I, I really have to pinch myself when I think about the, the, the people that I've been able to contact and, and bring for both events, really. Um, I'll focus on the second. Uh, we're starting off with Stephen Law. So Stephen Law is the author of no less than three books on the national curriculum um he is the editor of philosophy journal think he is um the author of the book believing bullshit and he is um just an extraordinary clear writer does amazing materials he's going to be talking about religion philosophy of religion and philosophy how those things relate uh we're going to hear from um so he's our keynote um really happy to get him i have to say (laughs) um uh also delighted to have uh, Dr. Lucy Elvis from NUIG. She's going to be talking about philosophy of art. Uh, she's just done a philosophy in the community project in schools all around art, which is a collaboration with artists. And um, really interested to hear about that project. And um, I have a good friend of mine, uh, Lucas Curzon. Uh, Lucas runs the philosopher's Hash. Philosophy is typically a very dusty, dry, boring, seat-bound activity. Not so for him. He's going to be talking, um, his session is called Thinking with Hands. So it's all about how you can use the body while doing philosophy. Something I never did in my entire career in philosophy. It was always sitting down, uh, sometimes lying down. So I'm really interested to hear about physicality plays into his ideas. Then I have um Rob Brandt uh did an amazing uh documentary on philosophy in schools future visions for RTE which is available on my site thank you again Rob for that Uh, and also broadcast on RTE too he's the author of the philosophy resistance squad and he is going to be talking about um listening as a philosophical act so um the role of listening in genuine philosophical dialogue um, is going to be what he focuses on. Um, We are going to have um, Karen McMarkin from um, Educate Together. She's the secretary of their Ethical Education Network. Um, She's a regular contributor to some of the public philosophy events that I do. She's fab. She's going to be doing kind of lines from the trenches, So letter letter from the front line. So she's in there getting schools up and running across different schools and programs, failing miserably, having wonderful triumphs and learning all along the way. So she's going to be sharing all that with us. And then to finish it all off, God damn it, uh, Peter Worley, uh, a.k.a. The If Man, uh, co-CEO of Philosophy Foundation UK. He is just... um, and author of two books on the curriculum as well, I should add, um, and shortlisted for a prize for his most recent one. Extraordinary career in philosophy for children. Uh, he is a master facilitator. He runs training sessions in um, philosophy facilitation uh, out of the UK. You can take them remotely. Um, he is going to be leading. So, this is again, you know, one of those guys who's like really good at philosophy, but also plays in a band. He also writes music, but what he's going to be doing for us is um, he's going to be leading an inquiry with uh, twenty people at the conference, and we're going to get everybody to go else to go dark. And he will lead an inquiry, and then during the inquiry, he's going to live comment on the techniques that he's using. Then afterwards, in real time, he's going to deliver his own analysis and assessment off his uh, facilitation. So he's going to tell us how to do it. He's going to do it. He's going to tell us what he's doing while he's doing it. Then he's going to tell us what he just did. So an amazing way to finish out the day. So I'm so excited. That that sounds like kind of a... Theatrical
0: performance—it's almost like you're getting a, I mean, a theater experience.
1: <laughs> I mean, it's it's really something. I've 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 trained with them before, and also Morel Rice in Ireland who runs CPD here, and the two of them—it is a performance. It's really just a pleasure to 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 behold, uh, and all of this Declan for ten euros. Yeah, <laughs> am, I, am I crazy? I guess I am. Incredible.
0: <laughs> yeah, it it is very wallet friendly. Um, Yeah, yeah. I think that's a fantastic thing, though. Just you know that it is affordable for people to 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 attend this. Um, You know, it's it's brilliant. Like that is a rich, as you say, (laughs)
1: yeah, of talent
0: to tap into. um, Yeah, you know, for one day of your
1: life. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, and they're all very, they're very, they're all creating um, uh, unique new material exclusively for this event. So, which I'm really bowled over by, because frankly, they'd be well within the rights to warm up some half-baked debt from a few years ago. You know, for uh, you know, for for the notice that I gave them, and and you know, it's a small event, but they've all created uh, material fresh for the for the conference. So, uh, yeah, I'm just honoured. I'm, I'm delighted to be able to have them. Fantastic,
0: really, really is, yeah, yeah. It's a great, great lineup. Uh, I saw it unfold on Twitter as you announced. Ah, very good. And, uh, no, you're very yeah. good. To, uh, thanks for getting
1: <laughs> in touch, man. I really appreciate it. So, um, yeah, I'm psyched. I'm really, you know, a little bit nervous as well, but I'm, yeah, really excited. It, it looks like good nerves uh, from where I'm sitting. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, look, I'm full of juice, so I'm, yeah. I'm ready to to bring them on and get out of the way. Yeah, it's the
0: it's the scrappy do nerves. You know, let me out, let him out. You know, yeah, it's, a, exactly. <laughs> it's, it's good <laughs> stuff. <laughs> um you do have a competition, I think I saw as I trolled yes. through Twitter.
1: If you want to yes, let I, let I let do, everyone do. so bit. actually, I have so um Jennifer Horgan is uh, aka the Irish examiner's secret teacher. So she's been tweeting as the secret teacher Ireland for the last kind of two plus years. And um, she's amazing. You know, she's um, such a passionate teacher, a great writer. She's written a book basically uh, called Oh, Captain, My Captain, a reference to both uh, the poem and the Robin Williams film, who is seven years dead uh, today, I read on Twitter. But her book is um, all about uh, kind of a new vision for educational reform in Ireland. The question to win a signed copy is what one change would you make to the educational system that you're in? So if that's Ireland, the Irish one, and if it's abroad, what's the one thing that you would change? Um, and she'll be picking the winner and announcing it. And um, I'll give you a little bit of a, a scoop uh, we might be hearing more from uh, from Jennifer at uh, the next uh, Godfly event. She does; uh, she's compiling a course in philosophy and film um, right now, so that's a passion for her as well. So I knew there's something better I liked. <laughs> that's brilliant. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> um, yeah, the
0: the film philosophy overlap is strong there between you. All. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> the, you know,
1: it's a visual medium. It's mm-hmm. so. It, it's emotionally evocative, it's visually engaging, and done right, it can be genuinely moving and profound. I mean, film is, you know, the medium of our times uh, in some respects, and it's hugely powerful. So, um, you know, I would have read, you know, uh, a lot of Cavell on cinema. And anyway, look, she, the, the course I'm sure she's doing is it, amazing, and I can't wait to, uh, to see her on, on the event
0: yeah yeah that sounds brilliant
1: the um i
0: what i will do I'll, I'll link to the uh the tweet the, the competition tweet in the show notes we'll, we'll do that so you know that will be a bit more tangible if someone's listening in just check down through that and you will be able to uh to to see exactly if, what 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 we just said there if you want to, to thank join god in. somebody is thinking practically Declan. thank you <laughs> <laughs> i learned this in philosophy to be practical i was ah, uh, very clear essential then <laughs> Theory in practice there you go um, the, the 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 event though definitely it's it, it is it's it's just incredible in terms of the lineup and i'm sure it'll be absolutely amazing so i can't recommend people enough and um, certainly that you know to, to go there that it will definitely uh be in the show notes <laughs> the yeah yeah well th- thank you so much so, uh, no oh, look <laughs> so we'll 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 have that one um what i'll do is i uh, i did mention a section maybe it might be interesting to talk about we'll we'll close out this this kind of sure, yeah. conversation let's say We're, we'll hit the closing section now we'll check our clocks we'll see if we want to do um a little follow up at the end of this um but we'll 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 um move into the 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 sunset um era of, of things here okay uh, <laughs> Uh, this one is definitely set looking out my window here and um, what's next in your 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 list of of philosophical or, or non-philosophical goals for education I suppose really it should be philosophical goals
1: <laughs> yes um, yes yeah, so God next on my list I mean you know I've got the site and I'm running a conference every three months um look and again this is kind of a, a, a bit of an insight uh, for you that I haven't shared um the real vision for Godfly is uh, a live event. Um, online is amazing, and I have really pushed the presenters to bring interactivity and engagement. And there's going to be lots of, you know, opportunities to really get involved and be part of the event online. But really, the vision is a live event. You know, I want to run something like a festival of ideas. I wanted to have a social aspect in the evening. I want um, beers and wine and art exhibits and music and debates and interviews and really with, with a key focus on philosophy. That's my you know, on and, and all of the work that I'm doing, teaching, um, you know, bringing materials to teachers of philosophy and that focus on education, that's really where I want to bring the event. I can't do it for now. I'm so grateful that people are showing up online and the presenters as well. But my real vision is a live event um, with all of the same spirit and same energy, but uh you know a little something extra. Oh brilliant. It sounds sounds amazing. It sounds a bit
0: like the uh what was it the square that, that Socrates operated in? The core core?
1: It's it's left Yeah, core, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well I mean, you know, I draw inspiration from, you know, we have the Dolkey Book Festival in down the road for me. Um great event. I saw Stephen Fry there um speaking in 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 a, in a Gorgeous old church and on the outskirts of Doki. Um, <clears throat> he was a fantastic. Um, there's a festival called um, the Hey Hey Literary Festival, um, How the Light Gets In. There's some amazing festivals out there. There's a real appetite. People like being challenged. They like talking about dangerous ideas or challenging ideas or... Um, Engaging in, in intellectual debate and ideas, and seeing people who are great at it do it. Um, so, yeah, you know, fingers crossed. Going to work out the budget as well, Declan. I mean, I'm not going to be retiring on on gadfly tickets at ten a so I'll have to come up with a proper plan. But uh, that's the vision. I think
0: Socrates did have this element of of never. Um, having much material wealth it was a, a pillar of his I wouldn't recommend I wouldn't recommend taking back literally in our,
1: <laughs>
0: our current systems of
1: <laughs> well you ontology. know sadly, sadly I won't be able to pay for uh, for venues uh, with my good looks but um, with that so I'll have to figure something out but you know give me time fantastic yeah um
0: I suppose we've talked about uh, the philosophy short course, you know, God, gadfly, which in my head, maybe is a positive thing. It comes out as glad but gadfly it is. Um, yeah. and, uh, is there anything else that you, in terms of your work that you, you want to talk about? I know is a completely fine answer, but just to ask the question, if there is anything else. Uh,
1: no, I mean, that's, that's, those are the, the things that, you know, as I say, you know, I have a day job in, in, Education and educational technology, I have young family um, doing the website, creating the materials. Um, I'd like to do a bit more materials creation. Right now, I'm the beneficiary of some amazingly generous contributors um, and third parties, um, You know, people like Susan Andrews and Morel Rice, who've given me materials for the site that they've allowed me to share. I'd like to start creating more of my own. But, um, you know, it's, it's tough work. It takes a long yeah. time. So, no, those those are the key projects right now. Live event, keep the site going. Absolutely, yeah.
0: No, I, I certainly wasn't implying it wasn't enough. It <laughs> <laughs> makes me actual- feel
1: bad, man, Dick, That I feel like <laughs> I should be doing, doing more for the community. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, it is it is absolutely phenomenal. Just looking at the list of things um that you've 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 achieved and that you're you're still pushing on. It really is um absolutely amazing. Is 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 there anything is there any way it's best for people to follow your work and follow you?
1: Um would it be a oh, Twitter yeah. handle? Yeah, um,
0: I'm
1: on I'm on the Twitter. Uh, so <laughs> I'm on uh, it's Ash Daniel McRae underscore. So it's some other Daniel McRae stole the, the Easy tag. So it's Ash d-a-n-i-e-l-m-c-c-r-e-a underscore and um mostly talking about the stuff that i talk about today share resources put out some crazy ideas um look for collaborators and just really anything to do with philosophy and education that's that's what i talk about so if that's your area and uh, jump in especially if you're an artist. amazing yeah brilliant um, I'm, not, I'm not on the Instagram or the TikTok yet. I feel a little bit old for all that, Declan, but I should probably, again, get over myself.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, I think you may have less time. If you start doing those things, you may have less time for everything else. So Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's true. That's true. Choose wisely. Um, well, if this is the end of uh, where we're talking, we're not certain of that yet. Um, thanks very much. It's been an absolute pleasure. Um, and, and just even... You know, maybe getting to know you a little bit over the last uh, couple of weeks. There are chats and that. It's, you know, they, they've not been, you, you've, you've got very long emails. Apologies um, yes. <laughs> about that. <laughs> My um, God. <laughs>
1: Nobody <laughs> could accuse you of being underprepared, You're, you're really <laughs> on it. So fair play.
0: And um, thanks very much. You're very generous of your time and all that. So if this is to be the end for now, thank you very much, Dan.
1: You're very welcome, definitely. Cheers.